about non-monogamy since before I got into that relationship. I always thought it sounded great in theory, but that I would struggle too much with jealousy, so I didn't pursue that. And then about a year into the relationship, when I realized there were all these things I wanted to do, like I drafted emails to my partner that I never sent, like confessing <laughs> that I wanted to be non-monogamous. So it was definitely on my mind for a while. Welcome to Normalizing Non-Monogamy, the podcast where we interview incredible people from across the entire spectrum of non-monogamy to hear their fascinating stories. We strive to bring guests on the show who have a healthy approach to non-monogamy. However, it's important to remember that everyone does it a little bit differently, and the views and opinions expressed by our guests do not necessarily reflect our own. Additionally, we produce this show for entertainment purposes only. Please be aware that we aren't doctors or therapists. Consult a medical professional for anything regarding your health that you might learn about on the show. Enjoy! Welcome to episode 251. We're Finn and Emma, and today we have a wonderful conversation with Susanna, who is a feminist writer, certified sex educator, and a sex and love coach. Yeah, we have a fantastic conversation, and we're so grateful to her for coming on. Actually, we found out about Susanna because she wrote an article for the Washington Post about polyamorous people and uh, commitment ceremonies. And so we'll put a link in the show notes to that. Uh, but uh, yeah, we reached out and she was like, heck yeah, I want to come on. So uh, yeah, a huge thank you to her for doing that. As Emma said, we have a great conversation about a lot of different things. But one of the things that kind of floats to the top is about going to sex parties as a solo person and the confidence and social EQ that comes from that and also just some of the challenges around that. So yeah, it's a super powerful conversation yeah, around it, that topic. It's amazing. So again, thank you, Susanna. And for anybody listening who wants to learn more about her, uh, links to her website and all of her work are in our podcast show notes at our website, normalizingnonmonogamy.com. You can click on the podcast tab or in your podcast player uh, show notes, there are links that will take you directly there as well. And now for anyone who is a subscriber to our premium feed, we'll, we will jump right into the interview. And for the rest of you who are not, we're going to tell you a little bit about what the premium feed is and a couple of community announcements, and then we'll get into the conversation. We just launched our premium feed a few weeks ago, and we're really excited about it. It's a way for you to listen to our interviews as well as any upcoming bonus content that we're going to publish without our community announcements at the front or any advertisements. So we will still be doing the community announcements at the end, so you won't miss out on all of that. But it lets you just jump right into the interview. Yeah, we're like as Emma said, we're super excited. And the way to sign up for this is over at our website. You can click on any of the podcast show notes from recently or in your podcast player show notes there are direct links there as well and the model that we've chose to do this is a pay what feels good so it can be as little as two dollars a month or two dollars a year and you get to pick the price beyond that and so anybody who has subscribed already a huge thank you to you although you can't hear this because you're a subscriber <laughs> and if you're a patreon subscriber you get this uh, included in your patreon benefits and the information on how to sign up is posted in patreon or you can send us a message and we will help you out with that and as a bonus, you get to feel good by supporting your independent content creators as well. AKA us. Us. <laughs> so thank you in advance. We appreciate you. And we're excited to have new exciting content coming up soon. Beyond that, a couple of additional community announcements. First up, a huge thank you to our Patreon subscribers, the ones who haven't gone and got their premium feed, are listening to this. Thank you to all of you. We are over 250 Patreon subscribers at 250 episodes. I think that's perfect. That's amazing. Yes. And for those of you who are not familiar with our Patreon community, we have ongoing MeWe chats. We have monthly Q&As and we have men's groups and women's groups. We would love to have you come check it out. You can find all of the information on our website, normalizingnonmonogamy.com and click on the Patreon button. Yeah. Again, it's been a huge source of support for Emma and me, and we've made some amazing, incredible friends out of this community. Actually, in fact, this isn't really relevant, but we're going out to a burlesque <laughs> show tonight. We're recording this on Saturday morning. Uh, we're going to a burlesque show with a handful of Patreon subscribers in San Francisco. And so we're super pumped about that. So that's the kind of awesome stuff you get to do if you're part of the community. And you know what? We didn't even organize it. They organized it themselves. And, and invited we, us. And we just get to tag along. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, we're super pumped for that. And so, yeah, check it out. It's a couple bucks a month, and we'd love to have you. We also have virtual meet and greets that are open to anyone. You do not have to be a Patreon member for these. We would 
request that you are open-minded and respectful, but you're open to anyone. We would love to have you join us. We actually just had one last night, uh, but we'll have another one in September. It'll be September 27th, and you can go onto our website and sign up. Yeah, we'd love to see you there. And when Emma says last night, she means last night when you're listening to this, not when we're recording it. And nobody really cares. (laughs) I don't even know why I felt compelled to say that. It was not relevant, but it's okay. (laughs) Not relevant at all. Please keep talking, Emma, so I stop talking. Another reminder that you can go to our website and find our shirts. They say give love with our logo in the middle. We are so excited about these. And you can go purchase your own. So they don't say anything about non-monogamy directly on them. It's just give love. So we hope that- Or or indirectly. Or indirectly. They don't say it at all. So we hope that this encourages you and makes you feel like you can wear it anywhere you want. And we are, well, as we said, we're going to a burlesque show today (laughs) and all of us are wearing give love shirts. Yes. So that'll be awesome. Maybe we'll get a photo. That would be cool. All right. We'll see if we remember that. The other thing we wanted to remind you all of is stdcheck.com. That is Emma and I's favorite way to get tested for STIs. We've been using this service for years. We absolutely love it. It is fast. It is easy. It is discreet. And at about $129, exactly, about, (laughs) when you use the links on our show notes, it is affordable. The links save you $10 and they help support the show financially. And so we wanted to say a huge thank you to anybody who has used the links in the past and to all of you who are going to go use the links in the future. So thank you. And thank you for being awesome sexual health advocates. We appreciate it. Links to get that discount are in your podcast player show notes or on our website under the resources tab or on the podcast show notes on our website. And all of that can be found at normalizingnonmonogamy.com. And while you're there, you can also send us an email or send us a voicemail and we will respond to you as fast as we possibly can, usually within a day or so. We also have one other thing I wanted to mention, and that is a reminder, something new that we have done this year that you may not know about is that all of our episodes are available on YouTube as well. And I believe you mean the YouTube. The YouTube, sure. And if you go there, there's also transcripts available when you go and watch that YouTube video. And you can actually download those transcripts. So we just wanted to mention that that is a a resource that's available uh, because we hadn't mentioned that before. And it's important. (laughs) Yeah, we've we've had people reach out to us over the last few years asking if they can get transcripts of our episodes because they maybe have somebody in their orbit who can't hear. (laughs) And so uh, we've been... It's not that we haven't wanted to do it. It's just super duper expensive to pay a service to do it. And so we finally got around to putting them on YouTube and YouTube creates closed captions. They're not perfect, but it is definitely better than what we had before. And so we're going to keep working to improve this, but we wanted to make everybody aware. Yes. And now. And now the thing you've all been waiting for. (laughs) Let's go talk to Susanna. Welcome to the podcast, Susanna. We're excited to have you here. We're excited to talk to you more. Uh, we actually found you through, uh, you're, you're a journalist, and one of the articles you wrote recently for the Washington Post was about how polyamorous people are making commitments to multiple partners, and we reached out and wanted to have you on the show, and here you are. So we're super excited you're here. Thank you for talking to us today. Thank you. Yeah. Do you mind starting by just introducing yourself at whatever level you're comfortable with? Sure. My name is Susanna Weiss. I'm a feminist writer, a certified sex educator, and a sex and love coach. Awesome. And I, I know I dug into your, your bio a bit on your website and in, in all of the things. And I think you described it as an inconvenient realization, perhaps, that you were not monogamous. And so we'd love to hear about like that realization and like when did that happen? How did that happen? And can you take us back to that that time? Sure. I was in a three-year relationship, and I cheated multiple times. And I was on a journey of self-discovery and realized I didn't want to sacrifice my ability to have additional relationships for the relationship I had. And so eventually, you know, I tried. I sought advice from a number of people. A lot of them told me, Maybe it was because I didn't really love my partner or maybe it was because I had unresolved issues with my parents. And, but one of them said, maybe the problem isn't that you're have, you're like wanting other relationships. Maybe the problem is that you, A, are not telling your partner and B, are not in a relationship where you can do that. 
And so I started thinking about that and um, realized that I wouldn't be happy if I were not, if I had to be monogamous uh, for the rest of my life. And so the relationship, I say that we broke up over a 90 minute orgasm because the story is, because I'm a sex and relationship writer, I sometimes get offers to try out different experiences. And there was this one man who's a sex coach. His name is Kenneth Play. It's fine if I, I've written about this. Um, and he does a technique on women called the 90 minute orgasm, where he gives you multiple orgasms over 90 minutes that feel like one big one. And he was like, why don't I try this on you? And you could write an article about it. And I wanted to change my ways in terms of how I handled my partnership. So this time I actually asked my partner, I sent him an email explaining why I wanted to do this and why in general, I felt like I needed some wiggle room when it came to monogamy because of my profession, because I get asked to do things like this. And just because that's me. And he got angry and saw it as an insult to him and an insult to his sexual skills. And that was how we broke up. And I got to have the 90 minute orgasm. It wasn't actually a 90 minute orgasm, but it was a session where I learned a lot and got to explore all these aspects of my sexuality without guilt. So I'm very grateful that that happened. Yeah. Wow. That's quite, quite the experience. And I think like leading up to that, had you, had you really heard of non-monogamy or like, was it like, oh, I know this is a thing, but I know I can't bring it up to my partner? Or was it like, I just didn't even know that this was really a thing out there? But it sounds like, you know, being a sex and relationships coach, my guess is you've heard of it, but I, I don't know. I'm curious. I had known about non-monogamy since before I got into that relationship. I always thought it sounded great in theory, but that I would struggle too much with jealousy. So I didn't pursue that. And then about a year into the relationship, when I realized there were all these things I wanted to do. Like I drafted emails to my partner that I never sent, like confessing <laughs> that I wanted to be non-monogamous. So it was definitely on my mind for a while. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Before this relationship, this three-year relationship, did you have any other relationships that allowed you to explore any other part of yourself? Or is this really the first one that really kind of hit home for you? I actually kind of cheated on my first boyfriend too. <laughs> I was just not not great at monogamy. Like of of the three serious relationships I've had, I cheated in two of them. So like it was, but even at that time, I was like, but but I would get too jealous. I could never actually like do this. Um, yeah, it sounds very much like an, an internal struggle. Like I'm, I don't think I'm monogamous, but I don't know if I could actually be non-monogamous because I would struggle too much with jealousy, and and that that internal narrative seems pretty strong there. Mm -hmm. And yeah, after that relationship ended, I kind of surprised myself in that I was able to date multiple people and not really be jealous because we were all clear about what role we had in each other's lives and we were all on the same page. So there was no, I feel like if it were a situation where, um, I haven't actually been in a serious relationship that was non-monogamous, so it remains to be seen how I will handle that. But I surprised myself in my ability to date multiple people who are also dating other people and be fine with it. Yeah. And this was after that three-year relationship ended, mm -hmm. correct? Yeah. Yeah. About how long ago was that, that you kind of, that you ended that relationship? And then it sounds like after that relationship, you sort of were like, yeah, we're not going back to the monogamy. We're not like clearly not cut out for it. I, I keep having infidelities and like, there's so much that I want to explore. How long ago was that? That was in 2019. So okay. yeah, I had a few months with a lot of exploration and then there was the pandemic and that kind of slowed mm -hmm. everything down. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so what is it? What did that, you said that, I guess a few months of exploration, like, because that's a kind of a scary thing. I mean, it's exciting, right? But also kind of scary, probably coming out of that three-year, quote-unquote, secure relationship. And now now you have like everything sort of laid at your feet. How did that go? It was great. I went to sex parties every weekend for a summer and learned how to confidently approach people. And then I moved to L.A., September of that year and started dating. I think at one time I was dating five people at once and they each had their own role. 
like one was more of just like it was mainly sex and then one was like mostly a friend and then you know they each had and one was sort of like a dumb and they each had their own role and um then yeah then I started dating someone else for a little while and there was I guess some miscommunication like we were both not looking for monogamy but I think he still wanted something a little more um I miss those times though. It was a lot of fun and I want to get like, I want to have a situation like that again, I think where I'm like dating multiple people at once and just having the chance to explore different facets of my sexuality and my personality. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Did did most of those relationships, it sounds like kind of transitioned and out as the, as COVID hit and as, the pandemic started is that kind of the timing of it then yeah it wasn't really because of the pandemic it was almost like they all transitioned out right before the pandemic and then (laughs) (laughs) there were just no options left right yeah well and so it sounds like but you said like you'd love to get back to that is that something that is like i don't want to say on the agenda but like is that something that over the last couple years you've been craving and working towards like figuring out what is sort of like the your utopia like your personal relationship utopia like is that something you've put any thought into yes a lot of thought like so much thought that it's oddly specific um my utopia is i have a husband who is also my dumb and I have a boyfriend who's like more of a switch and where i could be both sub and um And the husband is my everything and my main person. And we live on the top floor of a house and the boyfriend (laughs) lives on the bottom floor. And uh, every once in a while, I, you know, go downstairs to sleep with the boyfriend and the husband punishes me. That's my dream. (laughs) Well, I think it's important that you know what you want. And it sounds like you've got it kind of figured out. I love it. I love it. <laughs> but in the in the short term, maybe it's dating lots of people to see if you can find those. Is that kind of, like you said, you were going to sex parties almost every weekend and you were dating lots of people and you were loving that piece. Like, I guess, where do you see yourself going? Like from where you are today, like to the building blocks to the utopia. Oh my gosh. Yeah, it's weird because I want that, but I also don't quite feel ready for it. Like, yeah, I feel like the building blocks right now is to find a number of people who I can communicate honestly with and are on the same page as me and just help me. I've been through a lot the past few years, and I think I would just like some people to help me get back into my body and experience my sexuality again. I've dealt with some health problems, including sexual health problems and a big heartbreak. And like, so all I'm looking for is just to like, feel safe in a relationship again. And like that, then we can worry about the husband. Yeah. 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 No, I'm sorry to hear that. It's been a, it's been a hellish couple of years. That's, uh, that's so hard. So I'm curious. I know that it's been a couple of years, but it sounds like those, the sex parties and just that the adventure of dating multiple people really helped you learn more about yourself. And I was wondering if you could expand a little bit more on that time um, from a few years ago and kind of what you, what you learned from that time and maybe even challenges you encountered too. Until I was 25, I had never had an orgasm with a partner. And it was that like my first orgasms with a partner were with that three year boyfriend. And after that, I was afraid that he was the only one who could do it. So it was almost a journey to discover uh, my capacity to feel pleasure with different partners. And it was, you know, delightful realizing I could orgasm with everyone and express myself sexually with everyone and just experience new forms of pleasure. Like with one guy, like we would always use a vibrator. And then with one, like, I don't know, it was more about fingering. And it was just like different ways of learning about my body. And yeah, one of them introduced me to BDSM. And yeah, at sex parties, I think the biggest thing of that was just learning to feel um, confident in my desirability and being surprised by like who I could approach and get a yes from. And that instilled a lot of confidence in me. 
Yeah. Well, I think that's such a huge, I don't know, like as, as an introvert myself, like approaching people anywhere is a challenge, but like, well, let's go approach somebody at a sex party and see how that goes. Right. And so we've, we've been to a fair amount ourselves and like the, I think one of the things that, that I have to push out of my own mindset is just because you're talking to somebody doesn't mean that something has to happen or, or even that there's interest. It could just be like, Hey, you look like a nice person. Let's have a conversation and, and just be humans who are kind to each other. And so like, I just think that's a, that's like such a huge skill to like develop and then to develop it in that environment. I, I think is pretty impressive. So, yeah, I don't know how, how, how did you, like, what did that process look like for you? Like building that, like even just going to your first sex party by yourself, like that's a big, that's kind of a big thing to do. I left my first few sex parties feeling really rejected. Um, I remember going up to people and them not wanting to play for various reasons. And I think in my third, I met someone who actually we didn't play, but we went on a date a little bit later. So I got a little more confident. And then it was my fourth sex party. There was this guy who I thought looked like Chris Evans, who's my celebrity crush. And (laughs) I like had my eye on him the whole time, but didn't think he would play with me. So I was like asking other people to play who I didn't even really want to play with and getting rejected by them and like feeling all sullen. And then, um, what happened exactly? Another guy asked me to play, then introduced me to the Chris Evans guy who we'll just call Chris. Cause I don't want to give away names. Um, and then he, he was like, Oh, does this beautiful lady want to play with us? And I was like, what? Like, and then I realized like people were much more gentle on me than I was on myself. Like he was thinking of me as a beautiful lady. And I was just like, Oh, and then we started talking and then I asked him to go to the playroom and he said, yes. And, that was this big realization. Like they were all a family and the people who had like not wanted to play with me, it wasn't because they were judging me. It was because like they either were there with their partner or they weren't in the mood to play at all, or they just, I don't know, weren't comfortable for whatever reason. And it was just like, Oh, we're all a family. People here aren't like evaluating me the way that I'm evaluating myself. And the more I think I projected confidence and was less awkward, the more like I got yeses from people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and it's interesting because in that environment, you almost have to reframe things for yourself. And like what you just said of maybe it's not me. Maybe, maybe it's just things going on for those other people. And maybe it is me and we're just not a good match, but like you have to kind of reframe and, and just keep trying. And I, I give you a lot of credit for going to multiple parties and not giving up. Like most people, a lot of people would go to that first or second party and be like, screw that. Like this, is, this isn't for me, but you kept at it and learned. And well, and even in that same sex party, like talk to multiple people about playing and sort of getting rejected and still kept at it. So like the t- you, you were spot. That's exactly what I was going to say. Like the <laughs> fact that you went to like three and it took till the fourth one, like, I know for me, like, man, it would be hard to keep going back. Like, and so I think just get on you. Like, that's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> but at the same time, look at like that. It's inspiration because yeah. we are sure. all human and, you know, it's, it's easy to sit in that rejection and be like, well, that's just not my space. But look at what happened when you kept going back and then learn to like grow, you know, see it as a family and, become like more confident in yourself. And so, well, I was curious, do you have any tips for somebody who's going to go like the first time you go or like as a solo person, right? Cause it's, it's kind of an intimidating environment to show up even with a partner, but like to roll up solo, whether like regardless of gender, like that's a, that can be an intimidating place. And I'm curious your perspective on that. My advice would be to come looking to make friends and talk to interesting people, uh, but not to expect something to happen sexually or romantically, because even if there are people there who are interested in you, you may not be interested in them and vice versa. And it's just you don't want to force yourself to do something you're not totally into just because it's a sex party and you feel like you should just like accept the fact that maybe you will just make friends and that that is a great outcome as well, because you'll learn 
really interesting things by learning their perspective on sexuality and just observing people. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I love that. And I'm curious as like a, a solo female showing up to that space, we've, we've actually heard from, from people in previous episodes around this, but like, I think there's such a stigma or a quick jump to like, Oh, it's unsafe. Like how could you ever go to a sex party as a solo female? And I know we're, playing into all sorts of stereotypes there, but I'm, I am curious, like what, what was your perspective on that and how, like, obviously if you go almost every weekend, it couldn't have been that unsafe. So I'm curious, like how, how was that? There are some clubs that make a point to be feminist and sex positive and consent forward and have a good reporting policy for creepers. Um, even at those clubs, I've had to report people for various things. I've been to sex parties where people have made comments about what I look like, where people have grabbed my ass without consent, like put my hands places without my consent. Like this, it enrages me. And I think I almost enjoy getting people in trouble. <laughs> it's like, I don't know. To me, I, I could go to sex parties knowing that that's a risk and that if that happens, I'm going to feel so empowered, like getting these men in trouble. Um, that's how I think of it because yeah well and I think that's a great like and I know that's really not your it's not like you go there like I'm gonna bust five people tonight but I think the opposite is people are so afraid to ever speak up and I think that's part of why this can happen right it's oh well I can grab her ass and she's never gonna turn me in and it's like no no this is your last time at the club now right or it should be um and so I think the opposite of what you're saying is the just complacency and silence. And that's, that's where this behavior gets like bred and, and reinforced. So I think good. I'm, I'm, yeah, I love it. You know, you, so you back, so this is all, I'm trying to paint, paint a timeline. So this is all in 20, like 2019 timeframe ish, correct? Like mm-hmm. when you went to these clubs and had all those experiences. I've been to sex parties since then. Okay, so it's it continued. Awesome. Uh, despite despite COVID and all of everything that's happened with that too. Uh, but I'm glad that you've been able to get out. And that kind of leads to my question. If earlier you shared that, you know, the last few years have been pretty difficult, like you've dealt with some health problems. And I imagine that there's other people out there that can relate to that. Like they've gone through their own struggles and they're looking to get back out there um, and try to find something a relationship or relationships that work for them and do you have any thoughts of like what what you want how you want to put yourself out there what you'd recommend to other people to try to to transition and and do that I'd say the same thing as what I said about sex parties not to force anything to understand that like if you're having trouble finding relationships right now it's not your fault you know it's the time that we're in and it may be the stage in your life that you're in that maybe it's time to be single and learn some things before you get into your next relationship. So don't like beat yourself up over not being in a relationship and also don't settle for somebody who um, just, just so you could have someone um, just like be okay spending time by yourself, understand that it's not forever. And then you will, um, you know, once you are ready, then the right people, person or people will come in and you'll be in a good place to be with them because you'll have like done that work on yourself and learned to sort of um, maybe examine the need that you felt to be with other people and learned how to supply those needs yourself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I'm curious to back at the the sort of the outset coming out of the relationship the three-year relationship when when you kind of identified like i have all these things i want to experience i don't probably want to be in a monogamous relationship again did you kind of have an idea of what you wanted that to look like at that point like was it i want to i want to be like more casual with a bunch of different partners or i'm i'm thinking polyamory with like a sort of an anchor partner and some you know, some satellites off of that or like, had you, I guess, how did you approach that sort of jumping off point? 
So at the time, it wasn't even about like wanting to hook up with other people. It was about wanting to do things like um, sexological body work. Like I was um, seeing people called sexological body workers who are like hands on healers who will like touch you. But for you to learn about your sexuality, I was doing a practice called orgasmic meditation, which I don't endorse the company that spread this practice. I don't know if you know the story, but there's a company called One Taste that spreads this practice called orgasmic meditation, where um, a man strokes the upper left quadrant of a woman's clitoris for 13 minutes. And it's like a meditative practice. You don't hook up, you just do that. And it's like a consciousness exercise where you supposedly reach meditative states. And um, yeah, that that company has done some corrupt things. But that practice itself, I was getting into and um, doing things like I told you, uh, like that coach, like it was really just stuff like that, that I wanted to be able to do like for work largely. And um, so just and I um, so after I got out of that relationship, I trained as a sexological body worker. And, you know, threw myself into orgasmic meditation. And um, I think what I had in mind was, I don't know how much to share. I had actually like had this weird feeling like I was about to meet my soulmate. And so I was like, I am going to just enjoy playing around right now because I know my soulmate's coming anyway. So I know like one day that person will like become my main, my primary partner. So for now, I'm just going to like have fun with a bunch of people. Yeah. I, I love it. Just sort of like, a, let's throw myself into the exploration and see what comes out. And I guess through that experience, like what were, what were some of the big takeaways? Cause I know you, you touched on it a few, a few minutes ago about like you hadn't been able to have an orgasm other than with yourself. And you, you kind of discovered that and have discovered since that like that's possible, but like, were there other either sexual or just interpersonal like realizations and developments that came through this sort of like deep dive into all things like sexual relationship, love. I learned how to figure out what people's place in my life is and how to truly honor and respect that particular connection and not try to mold it into something else. Like we usually group everything together. We think someone should be our sexual partner, our romantic partner, our best friend. And what I found was like, some people are more like romantic partners who you occasionally have sex with. And some people are more like sexual partners who you occasionally hang out with. And some people are more like friends who you occasionally cuddle with. And there's this whole spectrum of relationships. And like it, yeah, I feel like non-monogamy really allowed me to just like sit and focus on the other person and me and our connection and not try to fit it into a script because I could fill, you know, different needs with different people. So I didn't have to make any one person fill everything. So with with each connection, it was just like, what, what is this meant to be in my life? Um, how, and not force anything else. Yeah. That's such a huge realization and, and can be a big challenge, right? Especially if you come from a, the monogamous mindset that like your partner is everything or should be everything. And to realize that like, is that possible? Perhaps, but like, it's a pretty, it's a pretty tall order to place on somebody and to place on yourself for somebody else. So that's, that's a huge one. Um, so thank you for sharing along, along those same lines, I think is where did maybe kink or BDSM or power exchange come into play for you? Cause you said part of your utopia is your husband, Dom, and you, you two live above your, your switch boyfriend. So where did, your sort of exposure and interest come into play for, for kink. It was first at a sex party when somebody spanked me and called me a bad girl. And um, I thought it was fun. And so I told future partners about that. And then I met other people who were into BDSM, who I, you know, enacted different scenarios with nothing terribly hardcore, but just like, 
verbal stuff like that and spanking and a little bit of role playing. And I'm still discovering that. But I think um, I realized that I think because I'm kind of a dominant person in life, I enjoy being submissive, but I also have a dominant side, but I just have this burning desire to submit to a man (laughs) and I'm still trying to work that out and how that fits into my feminism. It's almost like it doesn't really have to fit. It's almost just playful and fun. Um, Sorry. I just, I want to just comment like the, as a feminist and the work that you do, I'm sure it's hard. You're like, how, how could I have this desire to, to submit to a man when, hey, like I'm this confident, dominant woman? And I don't know. I just, I, that makes sense. So, so that kind of internal struggle and, and looking at it like play is, is likely like a good, a good way to do that. I know. I imagine it'll just be an ongoing joke like between me and my husband, like he'll just tease me like, Oh, you know, you're just a little slut inside. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. You're not a real feminist, but I think that I think if you were to probably talk, I I imagine you're not the only one that the like to be, we hear this. I think probably I hear a lot on Dan Savage where he'll like reference like the super, um, a type personality, bold businessman, CEO, and then in his spare time goes home and has a dominatrix, right? Because like, doesn't want that power in his personal life. And it's not that you want to give up all of your power, but like, it is, it's a play it allows you to explore other aspects of who you are in a safe, consensual, controlled environment. And I think there's a lot to that. So yeah, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. love it. How open in your life are you about your relationship structure, like with your family and friends and what you're interested, what you're interested in there? And how have those conversations gone? My friends are all, I think I have a few friends who maybe don't quite get it, but for the most part, like my friends either are the same way or think it's cool. Um, But I haven't actually told my family. I feel like my parents would find it weird and I don't want to have that conversation unless I really need to, which will probably be if I'm actually in have like a serious relationship that's non-monogamous, then it'll probably come up. But otherwise I don't want to bother them. Like I don't want to have to deal with that conversation if it's not necessary. Although I am presenting at a conference in the summer about unlearning toxic monogamy. And I haven't told my parents that I've, what I'm presenting on. They just know I'm presenting at a conference. So that's like in the back of my mind, like maybe I do need to talk to them about it. I don't know. I just feel like some people, I feel like they're in that camp of people who think like that stuff never works or it's like, I have a lot of people say this to me like, yeah, like in reality, when I look at people who have those relationships, I just don't see them working, which I, I don't know who they're looking at because I see plenty of them working, but I, I think they're of that mindset that like those relationships just don't work. Yeah. Have you encountered that in the work that you do of like seeing the relationships, like non-monogamous relationships working? Yeah. I mean, I think my, like some of my clients with the healthiest relationships are non-monogamous because like they're the people who are actually like really devoted to being themselves and honoring who each other is and like not blindly following a script, but are really thoughtful about their relationships. Yeah. Which is, which is super hard to do because it's, it's so easy to just fall into a groove or to do, you know, you watch everybody else around you do it and you're just like, well, that looks like it's working. I'll do that. And, um, that's such you mean a monogamy, mo- anything in life, oh, but yeah, yeah monogamy <laughs> included. Um, so yeah, I, I think maybe like every, I'd love to hear too a bit, Susanna, like your, your background, like that, that brought you into coaching and all of this exploration is very, in, in a lot of ways, sort of like academic, like, oh, I want to experience this so-called 90 minute orgasm. Let's go and do an experiment and see if that's a thing. And let's, what's the next thing I can experiment with and sort of like throwing yourself into that. But like, what is your, your, like your personal, like if you're comfortable sharing, like your education and personal background that has sort of brought you into this sphere of like 
personal growth and personal development and relationships and all of the things? It started in college, my interest in sexuality. Um, I took a sexuality workshop and it was the first time I had just like been able to have my sexuality embraced and had sort of been like, was able to see myself as more than a passive object because I just had gotten the message in various ways that like women, like men really wanted sex and women like, an empowered woman was someone who was able to say no to like men's raging desire. And that was just not my version of empowerment. My version was like, I'm the one with the raging desire. You could say yes or no to me. Like why, why are men always the ones like asking the question, coming up with the ideas, initiating things that doesn't make sense. And I finally like in college, in that sexuality workshop, and in those uh, gender studies classes, um, I studied gender and sexuality studies, like learned new ways of thinking about gender that wasn't so binary, that both collapsed the male-female binary and saw people within that binary as not necessarily conforming to stereotypes. Um, and uh, yeah, my tattoo, I don't know if you could see it, it's like an octopus swallowing a ship. The octopus mm -hmm. is like, um, I read this paper arguing that an octopus was like a pussy <laughs> in, in literature and in popular culture. There are different examples like James Bond Octopussy and on um, this book, Victor Hugo's Toilers of the Sea about sailors being eaten by a giant octopus. And it just talks about it, how in the popular imagination, the octopus was like this forceful female sexuality. And that like symbolizes the thing I was missing my whole life, like a version, a way to think about my body as more than a passive receptacle. And so that's what's gotten. That's just what's brought me to where I am. I think this desire to let women like to make sure everyone knows women aren't just objects we're subjects and we could be objects if we want to but that's also being a subject if you want to because you're the subject of that sentence i want and yeah i'm actually working on a book about this how like women are always the object of the sentence like men look at women and whatever want women and like let's put women at the subject of the sentence and talk about what we look look at what we want and not just what we look like and whether we're wanted yeah no, it's amazing. I think it, it almost plays right into like you showing up at a sex club and being like, I'm here. I'm going to ask for what I want. And like you kind of taking like all of the theoretical stuff that you read about and learned about. And then like, I'm going to go put this into practice or I'm going to, I'm at least going to give it my best shot. And well, it sounds like what you did. You started, yeah. like, you learned about it in college, right? And then just started growing from there, correct? Yeah. And then, you know, I had some other jobs after college, but that was always on my mind. And I started while I was in a different job, writing stuff and submitting it places and finally was able to do that full time. And I realized that's where my passion was. And so then I got trained as a sex educator and coach. Um, and I'm probably going to get trained as a sex therapist, actually. That's my next step. Um, cause so it's so fun to talk about sex and write about sex and have sexual experiences. I just want to like, I want my life's work be, to be having amazing sex and, you know, teaching other people how to do that and writing about it and making art about it. But like, I, my dream is that my job is to have amazing sex. And that's my <laughs> number one priority. <laughs> yeah. And, and help others do the same. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's amazing. And I, I don't know. I just, I, I love that you like go after that. And I think it, it's, it's, I don't know. It's inspiring. I think, I mean, you said that earlier, like it's inspiring that, and I, I don't know. I like, I, I know it seems stupid. Like I keep coming back to like you going to like multiple sex parties and especially feeling rejected. And like, I just think that that's such an empowering thing to like go and then, come home and be like, okay, well, I don't know. It didn't really go the way I wanted. I felt rejected. I felt a little bit demoralized, but like, I'm going to go back and I'm going to go back and I'm going to go back and like really finding that power and creating that power for yourself. And I don't know. I, 
I find it really inspiring and impressive. And I don't know, I appreciate you sharing that. And yeah, I don't know where I was going with it particularly. <laughs> I just, I just, I kind of see the tie into that, like the, the, the feminism and the like, yeah. you don't want to be the object. You want to be the the subject and you're going to take control of that. And so, yeah, I, I don't know that I have a, a, a solid ending to that thought, but well, well, I'll, I'll transition Thank a little you. bit. Thank so, you. <laughs> the, uh, one thing I'd, I'd love for you to touch on a little bit is sexual health and safety and navigating how you've navigated that it, at sex parties and how, what, how you work with people to navigate that. Cause it's part of sex, right? For sure. Yeah, I think it's really important to like know your own boundaries and know that you don't have to do anything. Like I don't want to be on birth control. That's not I don't want to deal with the side effects. I just want my body to be in its natural state. So like my method is I tell people I want you to use a condom and I want you to pull out and um <laughs> I feel like I felt really guilty saying that at first cuz that's like what do you mean? I have to do both, but, <laughs> but that's, I, I think that just goes to show how we privilege male pleasure. Like women have to deal with these shitty side effects so that a guy can like come inside us. Like, I, I don't think that's fair. Um, but that's, I'm getting off track. I, yeah, just, I just, I feel like men need to take more responsibility when it comes to, um, birth control. And I, you know, I, I wish there were a birth control pill for men, but I feel like men should be willing to, you know, use condoms and or pull out and or whatever. And because birth control, there's like so much stuff about it that we don't get told. Like a lot of women experience pain during sex from being on birth control, things like problems with arousal or orgasm or even bladder pain, like scary stuff. And I have strong opinions about that. But anyway, regardless of your method, it's important to have conversations with people and just like let them know straight up what your boundaries are. And like if the person really wants to have sex with you, they're probably not gonna not have sex with you because you like have certain boundaries. So like, well, and I think I think, you know, what you touched on right at the beginning is is a is a great thing to share is like the and we, we've had other friends who have said, yeah, they, they always have like a two, like a two-step method to prevent particularly pregnancy. So if, if it's like the, maybe the guy has had a vasectomy and wears a condom, okay, then you, you are now okay to come inside me. But if not, you're pulling out and you're wearing a condom. And if you don't like that, then like go have sex with somebody else. And like being able to lean into that and hold those boundaries is so empowering and powerful and important. So yeah, I think it's spot on. Yeah. And like, yeah, just people shouldn't be afraid to talk about that stuff and to talk about STIs because a lot of people have them. And, you know, I hope we can live in a world where somebody can just say, you know, I have herpes, here's what I do to prevent it. You know, if you want, I could just focus on pleasing you. Like here's, here's like the chances of spreading it if if we you know have intercourse versus oral sex and just like have that out on the table because it's like so many people who have stis yeah yeah it's just it's uh normalizing normalizing it right <laughs> like that's part of having those conversations and not trying to not make it uh, a shameful thing because again we're all human and and it's helpful. I think the more we can talk about it, the more com more people are comfortable talking about it. So we have to lead by example. Exactly. I know we've we've touched on a lot of different things, and I really appreciate that. And I I think one thing that like I would love to hear is sort of the for you, what is it that keeps you sort of coming back and interested in non monogamy or in sort of alternative relationship styles? And I I think I could probably piece it together based on a lot of what we've talked about, but I'm curious if you could sort of maybe just 
sum it up for us? Because I think there's been so much you've shared that's been a positive impact on your life that just to, to hear a few final thoughts on that from you and then talking a bit about your work and your writing and where people can find you and your coaching and, and all of the amazing stuff that you're doing. Yeah, I think what my commitment to non-monogamy comes from a commitment to simply not um, having rules on a relationship or maybe even non-monogamous relationships have rules, but I would like to be in a situation where those rules are coming from each person, not external and where they can be renegotiated. And um, what I said earlier about just honoring whatever the connection is with each person, like how do you know that if you get married, that you're not going to have a connection with someone else that calls on being explored? Um, you know, I want to be able to honor every connection I have in the moment. And that means I don't know who I'm going to be to someone else. Like we, I want the connection to show up and be seen. And for me to follow that natural flow of things rather than imposing an external structure on it. And and I hope that it can also just be a way of being playful, like the vision I have of like a husband punishing me for having sex with the guy on the side. It's just a way of like making light of some of these things that are so heavy, like jealousy, like um, this, you know, sort of trope of unfaithfulness or um competition it's just a way of making light of some of that stuff and just not like not getting so serious about everything there there was a second part of the question like yeah, yeah. where can people find you and the work that you do and well before that i want to say like I, I love that i think that's amazing like it's in a lot of ways it's sort of a game like mm-hmm. i want to have fun with this i want to take some of the 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 gravity out of it and just enjoy it for what it is and enjoy the partners in my life for who they are. And let's build, let's co-create together and build something that works for everybody. So I love that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then, yeah, (laughs) I do too. I thought you were going to continue there. Uh, But the, we'd love for you to just plug your, plug your work. Where can people find you? Where can, um, what can people expect when they work with you? That type of thing. Sure. Um, let's see. So you can find me on Twitter, Susanna Weiss. Do you need me to spell that or will it be right? Nope. No, nope. links will be in the show notes. Yeah. Um, Instagram is the reverse Weiss Susanna. My website is SusannaWeiss.com. Um, I offer one-on-one coaching where we talk on the phone regularly about whatever your sex or relationship problems are. And I also teach some courses. Um, I have a course specifically for men who sleep with women coming up starting in August, pleasing and empowering women in the bedroom. Um, I'm doing a course for women right now called living life orgasmically. And we'll probably do that again next year. Um, And I also have a free course available on my website called the orgasm cure for people with vulvas who have trouble with orgasms or want to improve their orgasms. So yeah, that's like a snapshot of different things I offer. Yeah. And and thank you. And the like the training that you've received, you said like next up is um sex therapy. Sex therapy. But what has the training up to this point looked like for you to sort of dive into all of these different modalities of work? Mm-hmm. So yeah, as I said, I trained as a sexological body worker, which I actually don't practice. I don't do hands on touch, but I use some modalities like embodiment practices like breath work and um, movement and like, sort of um, working with the idea of experiencing full body pleasure. And I also have done two different sex educator trainings. That's information about sexual health and intersectionality and like sexuality as experienced by different groups of people. Um, I'm, I trained actually as a birth doula and a postpartum doula and have, I'm looking for more clients who have issues around sort of parenting or pregnancy and 
things like that and do a little bit of that now. Um, I'm currently training also as a sexual assault counselor to sort of better help people with trauma. And I'm in, I'm doing a lot of trainings this summer. I'm doing also a yoga teacher training, which I feel like will help with the embodiment stuff somehow. And um, I'm also just starting a master's pro an online master's program in sexual health um, through uh, the University of Minnesota. And um <sighs> Hopefully, we'll also be starting a, a marriage and family therapy program in the fall. I'm attempting to do two master's programs at once, which I don't know how that's going to work. But I think if one of them is part time, I'm really hoping I can make it work because I just want to. I want to like get my sex therapy certification, and you have to actually become a therapist first. Like I don't know how I'm going to do all of it, but that's yeah what I've done so far. It's exciting. Yeah, it's it's amazing and exciting and a, probably a little daunting too, but you'll make it work and uh, why not like try, right? So that's awesome and good luck with everything. And yeah. thank you. Thank you for sharing everything that you have. Is there anything else that you, sorry, go ahead. Ben, I have a thing. You're you about can, to talk. You can tell I'm about to talk. <laughs> well, I know you're, you also, we found you through your writing with Washington Post and are there other Again, we'll put links in the show notes to your website, but other places people can find your writing and what do you typically write about and like from what perspective? Yeah, I've written for the New York Times, the Washington Post, New York Magazine. These days I write a lot for Glamour and Men's Health, um, somewhat for Vice still. I've written for Teen Vogue and a whole bunch of places you can find on my website. I think... A lot of what I write about is around sexual empowerment from different angles um, and sexual health and um, just looking at like underrepresented groups of people and how they experience sexuality and particularly women's sexual empowerment. Um, I also do a bit of writing about psychedelics and um, overall wellness. Yeah. Love it. Well, thank you for that, that work. And now carry on. I'm sorry to mean to interrupt your, your, your exit of the interview. Is there anything else you'd like to, to get out there in the world before we let you go and enjoy the rest of your day? No, I don't think so. Awesome. Well, thank you again, Susanna, for all of your, your time and your work and all of the degrees that you're working on. So it's impressive and we can't wait to hopefully follow up in a couple of years and see where everything's at. So thank you. Yeah, thank you. And we're back. Oh, it's been a while since we've done a same timer. Nailed it. Nailed it. Thank you so much, Susanna, for coming on the show and for sharing your story and for all of the work that you're doing out there as well. Yeah, we appreciate it greatly and definitely go check out her writing. Uh, links, again, are in the show notes uh, to her website and to other work. There's also an additional link in there that we wanted to mention. Uh, Susanna talked about One Taste, which was the orgasmic meditation company that she sort of had some affiliation with or took some of their program. Um, I'm sorry, took part participated in. And she talked a little bit about some of the ethical controversies around that. And so we included a link in the show notes to a Bloomberg article about that and encourage you to go check that out if you would like. Before we let you go, we just wanted to recap the community announcements for you. So first up, we have 250 Patreon members and over 250. We're super excited about that. If you're interested in checking out our community, we would love to have you. We have ongoing MeWe chats. We have, which is just a chat platform. I say that so fast, like everyone knows what MeWe is, but not everyone does. So it's just a chat platform. We have uh, monthly Q&As and we have men's and women's groups as well. Yep, and we have an upcoming virtual meet and greet on September 27th. We just had one a couple of days ago, actually yesterday, and it was awesome. And so we'd love to see you at the next one. And that, just to be clear, the meet and greets are open to anyone. You don't have to be a Patreon member to join. Yep, and the other thing we wanted to say out here in the outro is... Our episodes are now on YouTube, and so if you or somebody you know perhaps is uh, hearing impaired, the, uh, they have transcripts or closed captioning, so you can listen to our episodes or read our episodes. And again, that's not a perfect science, but it's definitely better than we've had in the past. And so please give us feedback on this if you can. We would love to hear it. And you can also reach out to us 
at our website, normalizingnonmonogamy.com. Click on the Contact Us tab. You can send us an email. You can send us a voicemail. We'd love to hear from you, and we hope to hear from you. And while you're there, you can also buy a shirt if you want a Give Love shirt. That is it. That's all we've got for you. Next week, we have a fantastic conversation with Michelle and Ron, a couple of transplants to Australia. And it's a great conversation, and we're super excited for it. So come back next week and have a listen. Yeah, and until then, enjoy your week. Bye, everyone. Thanks for listening.